As the Advent season draws close to Christmas, our attention is drawn to the choices made by Joseph and Mary in the gritty details of their lives. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy One, you are our guide and ultimate assurance. By your Spirit, open us to your promises and commands and shower us again with the fire of your love. Amen. Isaiah offers a prophecy that has a particular fulfillment in the days of King Ahaz, but, as is often the case with prophecy, also had a much larger fulfillment centuries later. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Engaged to be married, Joseph finds himself on the horns of a dilemma. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. As you are likely aware, a fast-growing body of research suggests human brains are being rewired by our interface with technology. Parents are learning about this at their children's schools as teachers negotiate the issues of information bombardment, the crush of electronic distraction, and the struggle for deep, focused learning. Studies indicate that ever greater access to information bits is inversely proportional to depth of knowledge and what we call wisdom. We seem to be swapping out an ability for sustained focus for information gathering. 
the researchers describe as a mental surface activity that's been accelerating at breakneck speed. It was now 15 years ago, a famous Atlantic Monthly article captured the negative side of this idea entitled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Underscoring this question, we're still in the throes of a texting while driving addiction. The statistics are startling. More than two and a half million people in the U.S. are involved in road accidents each year. One out of four are specifically caused by texting while driving. Texting and driving, by the way, is six times, get this, six times more likely to get you in an accident than drunk driving. It's actually safer for someone to get wasted and get behind the wheel than to text and drive. These statistics put the lie to the idea that we are all excellent multitaskers. Fact is, we are much smarter doing one thing at a time with complete focus. Emerging from the recent election cycle, I've realized once again that I'm devouring much more media than I used to, and yet didn't feel any smarter for it, really. And as we've been discovering, one of the problems of all of this information surfing concerns our decreasing ability to sort fact from fiction. We can't or simply won't stop to ponder whether the latest wacky conspiracy theory actually holds water. We are learning the hard way that information does not equate with wisdom. You know, some mornings I wonder whether the stuff we do in church adds or detracts from the problem of sensory overload. Sometimes it feels oddly surreal to dress up in robes and process into an ornate building, lighting candles, ringing bells, singing carols in an age awash in technological wizardry and cultural overstimulation. But then, you know, it does seem, after all, this spiritual activity works as an act of quiet rebellion, even revolution, on behalf of what really matters. Hard to say what perspective any given person brings who walks in through these doors at this time of year. None of us knows what particular bits of information predominate for anyone else while sitting here in this space. Are you mostly focused or mostly distracted? Even now, as you're watching this, are you mostly focused or mostly distracted? If you've been present in worship at Christ Church, have you noticed the little announcement at the top of the worship program that says, please turn off all electronic devices? It would be fun to see a show of hands of those who have actually done that, because of course I see folks texting from time to time. Of course, not so much is at stake sitting in a church compared with behind the wheel of a car. But you know this is true, you know you are not the brilliant multitasker you think you are. Your brain cannot retain a depth of knowledge, wisdom, or experiencing, or experience doing two or three things at once. That's just a plain irrefutable fact. So I invite you to name your multiple preoccupations in this moment, and then set them aside for the next few minutes.
Allow yourself the luxury of scaling back your attention to a small event with an improbable meaning. It concerns an illegitimate pregnancy in an inconsequential backwater town among poor, simple people, just the sort of people who are the first to be affected by the machinations of the powerful, just the sort of inconsequential people we'd quickly overlook as we scan the web, the tube, the stores. The old story has the added burden of being overly familiar. You know the basic characters and plot lines. You remember roughly how it begins and how it ends. You recall certain details with greater clarity than others, angels, shepherds, and so on. And today we drill down to one particular character who gets a top billing, but no lines. An enigma, really. But to really hear this bit of the story, we have to shift gears from the day's preoccupations. From the thraldom of a thousand distractions, we need to shift our thinking down to just one vulnerable man of the disposable masses, Joseph, the cuckolded fiance, caught in a serious personal predicament of seeming little significance in the grand scheme of things, just one throwaway information bit. The ancient law called for the death penalty when a woman committed adultery. By rabbinic practice over the centuries, that penalty had been reduced to divorce and public disgrace. As the story is told, Matthew reports Joseph was a, quote, righteous man, unquote, meaning he wanted to protect Mary from humiliation while still getting out of the marriage. He didn't want to impose an unnecessary hardship. Then a surprising thing happened. Certainly he could exert his rights as the agreed party, but Joseph chose another way, the way of trust and love. And in response to a dream, he takes Mary as his wife after all and receives her child as his own. Now, this was a very small act in comparison to the size of the decisions within the purview of Caesar or Herod the king, but an act that changed the world, nevertheless. Interesting, isn't it? This juxtaposition of the large, supposedly consequential decisions among the world's power brokers and the decision of a simple, humble man caught in a personal dilemma. And then, the way the story has it, discovering that God was not cavorting in human affairs on the scale of Caesar, but in the birth of this single, seemingly illegitimate child. This is one of the reasons this story has hung around for as long as it has. This revelation that while the world's powerful, powerful gyrating egos play out their dramas, holding populations hostage to their whimsies, God slips in to reveal how real power manifests in the world. Think Trump and Putin, as opposed to, say, one of the families in our El Nido program in Washington Heights. Here's our tradition's point of view. This bit of information concerning Joseph and Mary is a lot more important than other bits. Miss this bit from among all the other bombarding bits, and you'll miss a whole mess of other really important stuff. 
I'd go so far as to say you'll miss what it means to be human in the highest and best sense. The equivalent of a car accident, as it were, while texting. In Joseph, we have the character of the story who is most like us. It's easy to imagine him trying to get to sleep after learning about the pregnancy of his fiancée, spent, exhausted from anger, frustration, and humiliation, grappling with his conscience, tossing and turning in the night. In his restlessness, a dream angel whispers in his ear. Victimized by circumstance beyond his control, Joseph is presented with a variation of life he would not have chosen for himself. Trapped by his options, yet surprisingly wanting to do the right thing. Barbara Brown Taylor suggests the whispering angel says something like this. Joseph, don't be afraid. God is here. It may not be the life you had planned, but God will be born here too, if you permit it. So Joseph does the unexpected thing. On the face of it, he takes the more difficult path, the narrow road, as his son will describe it about 30 years later. Joseph will take Mary's predicament on himself, and together they will give birth to love and to hope and even joy. Joy to the world, we will soon sing. Probably 30 years ago now, I was speaking with a young man about important life stage decisions. At one point, he mentioned he was embarrassed to tell me a little discipline he tried to include as part of his decision-making. It's a very little thing, he said. Sometimes when I think of it, I ask myself this question. Are you ready to accept joy in your life? Are you ready? He then produced a well-folded slip of paper from his pocket with the question neatly printed. He kept it there as a reminder. He added, the funny thing is that once you ask that question, are you ready to accept joy in your life? It's very hard to consciously answer, no, I don't think I want it, not today. He said this reminded him to ask God to bless whatever endeavor he was engaged in or in whatever circumstance confounded him. He had an unusual spiritual innocence, wise beyond his years. And in that little exchange, I found a complete sermon that I've remembered ever since. To ask the question, are you ready to accept joy, is to slip into Joseph's skin for a moment and considering his circumstance, doesn't it seem an odd question to ask? How could he expect to find joy when it seems he's been taken advantage of, when his honor has been damaged, his plan so disrupted, his love seemingly betrayed? But this led him to certain decisions, difficult decisions, that welcomed joy into the world. Sadly, Really, we don't speak much about joy in our daily lives, do we? I wonder if we consider it an actual option, as a, an available and natural way of living. Perhaps we're too sophisticated or too cynical or, or just simply way too distracted to consider joy an actual option. 
It almost sounds surreal, doesn't it? Importantly, our ancient stories reveal that joy does not exist in some pristine alternative universe, separate from the travails and struggles of our lives. Instead, they reveal that joy comes, get this, joy comes whenever we are able to disarm ourselves enough to honestly welcome God into our world. Now again, here at the end, my perspective is that this information is among the most important you'll receive this December. You're welcome to disagree with me, of course. But don't leave this space today without hearing the simple bit that some information really is more important than other information, just as some food is more nutritious than other food. It really does matter what we think about in the day and what we dream about at night. Like Joseph, the meaning of our lives hangs in the balance.